0: Hello Church family, it's wonderful to be with you today. I imagine if uh, you're watching this on at home on your um, online or wherever it is that you may be, you were not able to join us for our outdoor services which opened up this weekend. And over the last few weeks, I've had the opportunity to talk to a number of people since we announced the outdoor services who who said they wouldn't be joining us for the outdoor services for a number of reasons. You know, I just want to say that we understand that at Riverstone Church because, you know, the reason some people just the risk of the coronavirus or the thought of trying to contain young kids in a nine by seven rectangle out in the field for an hour um, was not the most worshipful experience in their minds. So there's a number of reasons we heard why people wouldn't be joining us. And we just want to tell everyone that we, we respect that and we look forward to everybody coming back as they are ready as we start to gather together again as a church. It's been, it's been a long four months though. Um, since we've been able to gather together as a church body. And I know we're all looking forward to being able to get together in this room that I'm in right now, back in our worship center, and, and gather together with full kids' ministries downstairs and being able to do church and to experience worship the way we used to before COVID-19. I know we're not there yet, but we will get there sometime soon. And uh, church family, I just want to share that our staff and elders have been extremely prayerful, diligent, committed, and united as we've walked through this process in a way that we want to bring glory to God and safely gather the church family back together again like we all long to do. But it's been a, it's been a difficult four months. This past week, um, Jeff Eubanks sent out a meme to the church staff, and it was from Back to the Future. If you remember Back to the Future, you had the professor and you had Marty, and Marty was played by Michael J. Fox, and in the meme that Jeff sent, the professor is leaning into the window of the DeLorean and Marty's in the car and the professor leans in the window and says, Marty, whatever you do, don't set it to 2020. Isn't that the truth? Folks, it's been, a, it's been a tough year. We've had to do church in completely new ways. I remember back in, um, in March and actually leading up to that, the one thing that I always also wanted to share is that as a church, we've always said the church is not about a building. See, the church is about the people of God, about us as a church family. And back in March, when we shut down for the coronavirus, we had never put a church service online before. And I can remember that week, we went through and from less than a week's notice, got Sunday service up and online, and were able to pull that off without having any technical staff on our, our church staff. We have no paid audiovisual people. It was Benjamin. I also want to give a shout out to Tracy Wishart, who is really um, taking over some of our video production and video features here at the church. And they pulled together some volunteers, some gifted volunteers who came in and were able to get us online that week. And over the last several months, we could just see the quality of our online virtual services increasing with time. And that's just been a wonderful thing. And I think Riverstone has really displayed that being a church has nothing to do with the building because ministry carried on all throughout the shutdown period. We were able to do outreach ministries. We collected food for the Trenton area soup kitchen and also for the Pendel food shelter. Between those two, I think we sent a couple trucks filled with food and material goods down to help them out at this time. We've also had the opportunity to be part of a Habitat for Humanity house that was, being, it was built in Morrisville. And as a church, we were able to provide a lot of the furnishings and the items that go inside that house to to set it off. And as well, we've been able to do an international project that we're just kind of wrapping up right now, that we were raising funds for our brothers and sisters in Christ over in Lebanon and Syria. And just today, I received an email, a thank you email from the director of those ministries. And he was just sharing how grateful they are to the financial gift from Riverstone Church that means so much to them. Because both of those countries, one of them is war-torn, one has an economy that's collapsing, the virus hit, and it hit the churches hard as well. And they were so appreciative of our gifts. As well, during this shutdown, our, our small groups in Bible studies, our youth group, our young adult ministry, even this week our vacation Bible school and other ministries have been able to just carry on ministry virtually, never having done that before, and maintain the fellowship of relationships within Jesus Christ here at Riverstone all through the shutdown. Not only that, but as we look back, I just had the, um, the, 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 today just was looking over our financial giving. It gets sent out to the elders on a monthly basis. And during this shutdown period, I just wanna share with the church family that. Back in March, our elders and pastors met. We put a freeze on some of our expenses because we were anticipating a really difficult time of giving for the church as the shutdown impacts the jobs and careers of our people in the church, and we expected the church to take a real financial hit. But I want to let you know, church family, that amazingly God had other plans for us because our giving, our budget year goes from October 1st to September 30th, And the giving from October 1st to the middle of July has been higher this year than any year in the history of Riverstone Church. And during the coronavirus shutdown, when we have not been able to gather in person, that is amazing. And for that, we want to say thank you to the church family of Riverstone. We also want to say, please help us carry out the summer strong as well, because as the church has grown in the last 10, 12, 15 years, what we've seen is the budget has grown with it as well. Understandably, so we can carry out the ministry that God has called us to. So even though we're well above expenses, we're still just slightly below budget on a year-to-date basis. So let's finish out together this year really well so we can carry on the ministry of the church. Also, church family, we can celebrate all of this, and we really should. It's a great thing to celebrate. But the reality is, the situation that we are in is not ideal. You see, the Greek word, for the church, is ecclesia, And the actual literal translation of ecclesia means the gathering. You see, God intends his people, his church, to gather together. And and ministry takes place best within the context of relationships. Now, with that being said, I want to give one other quick announcement, and that's that we're going to be offering our online services all throughout the foreseeable future well into years ahead. And the reason we're doing that is for the the short-term future, we realize that not everybody's ready to come back to the campus just yet. They'll be able to watch our services online. But even after that, we're seeing that people in nursing homes, in hospitals, shut in in their homes, or not able to come to the church for whatever reason. This is a wonderful ministry tool that we can use at Riverstone Church. We can also use it as an outreach tool you want to invite friends to church you can tell them and say hey why don't you watch our services online and we'd love to have you come with us to church sometime but the warning that i want to give is that online church for those who are able to come out together is never an alternative to gathering in person some churches offer it as one of their options but the reality is ecclesia means the gathering and god intends us to gather together in person to worship him together in the context of relationships we're the body of Christ. So we're thrilled to be able to offer this going into the future, but let's remember it's not an alternative to gathering together in person. Well, church family, my introduction's a little bit longer today because we're kicking off a new series. The series is on the church, but before I go forward with something I want to share with you about this new series, would you join with me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you for the privilege and the joy of gathering together to worship you today. Lord, as we come before you and we sing our songs of worship, as we open up your word and as we study it together, Father, I pray that you would give us insight, give us understanding. And Lord, through this time we spend in your word today, I pray that you would help us to know you better. And Lord, transform our hearts more and more into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. We ask this in the precious name of Jesus, amen. I mentioned that we're beginning a new series on the church today. And as we begin this new series on the church, what we'll be doing is we're gonna be taking the churches, the church covenant for Riverstone Church, and using that as a guide as we select the topics as we go through this series. Now, many of you are probably there at home saying, Pastor Bob, I had no idea that we even had a church covenant. Well, for the last probably about two or three years now, We've been using the church covenant in our membership classes. And membership applicants for membership have to submit an application and also have to submit our statement of faith as well as our church covenant and sign off on it as a part of their membership process. So one of our hopes is that all of us will become familiar with the church's covenant and maybe even to the point where we all sign off on it in the future. But one of the things as you look at a church covenant it really helps us to understand of what God expects from us as his followers. A church covenant is a sign of commitment. It's a commitment to God, a commitment to his church, and a commitment to personal holiness. And you see, as we start to live out a life according to the biblical standards of that church covenant, it's drawing us closer and closer to the image of Jesus Christ. Now, at Riverstone, we. We have our statement of faith, and the statement of faith tells us what we believe. And I'd like you to think of the church covenant as a a document that provides a biblical standard on how we agree to live. I think if you look at that covenant, you'll understand what I mean when I say it comes directly from the Word of God. Well, many years ago, Vince Lombardi became the, the head coach of the Green Bay Packers, And when Vince Lombardi walked into his first team meeting with the team, here were men, professional NFL football players, probably playing football since childhood. And Vince Lombardi walks up into that meeting room and he takes a football. He holds it up in the air and he says, gentlemen, this is a football. You see, Vince Lombardi started with the basics. And I'd like to start with the basics when we talk about doing a series on the church by reading a definition, the definition that we'll be using to define what the local church is. It says, a local church is a community of believers in Jesus Christ who commit to one another to gather regularly under biblically qualified leadership for the worship of God, the ministry of the word, the celebration of the ordinances, the practice of discipleship and discipline, and the fellowship of the saints in order to glorify God And make disciples of all nations. Wow, there's a lot in that definition. But what I'd like to focus on today, because we have two months now of this series to just cover that whole definition as well, because it parallels as well our, our statement. I mean, I'm sorry, our church covenant. But what I'd like to focus in on is the very end. When it says, We do all of these things. Why? In order to glorify God and make disciples of all nations. See, we at Riverstone Church take disciple-making very seriously. It's part of our mission statement. We are advancing the gospel by making disciples who make disciples. You see, God looks to his church to carry out his ministry. And a key part of that ministry is the making of disciples. And healthy churches are very intentional about disciple-making. But one of the things I want us all to remember is that in that process of making disciples, that it's God who makes the disciples. He invites us along in the process, but he is the one who brings people to salvation in Jesus Christ. He's the one who changes hearts, and he's the one who brings people through his spirit into maturity in Jesus Christ. But he invites us as his followers, as his church body, to help in that process. So a healthy church is a church that is filled with healthy church members. And then collectively, as we bring individual church members who are growing in maturity in Christ together, collectively we make up a healthy church. 11 years ago, I was preaching a series about discipleship, and I used the illustration of a table with three chairs to help us understand this process of disciple making. I'd like to draw your attention over here. We have a table with three chairs, and Think of the disciple-making process, and what we have here is this first chair represents non-believers, people who have yet to place their faith in Jesus Christ. Then we have this chair over here, and this chair represents new believers, those who are young in their faith, and then the third chair over here represents those who are mature in their faith. Now, I want to give you one theological rabbit trail that is really important for us to understand as we look at this illustration. And that is, if you look at the definition I gave you on the local church, it said, we are a body of believers in Jesus Christ. So theologically speaking, non-believers are not part of the body of Christ. They're not part of the church, per se. But on a practical level, when the church gathers, the local church gathers, there are non-believers present, and there are new believers, and there are mature believers. So on a theological level, yes, non-believers are not part of the church, but for the sake of this illustration, and on a practical level, non-believers should be part of the local church. Now, we could say this represents a third of our church family and a third of our church family and a third of our church family, which would be a great makeup, a great split between these three chairs. But you might say, well, Pastor Bob, wouldn't we be a healthier church if 90, 95% of our people were over here as mature believers in Jesus Christ? Now, we probably would really enjoy that. It probably would be about the closest thing we could get to heaven, where 100% of us at that time are going to be glorified, mature believers. But the problem with that is we wouldn't be a healthy church because we wouldn't be an obedient church. See, what does God tell his disciples to do, his followers? He says go and make disciples. And what he's telling us is he wants all of us to go outside of the church within the context of the relationships that God ha- that we already have made. It could be our neighbors, it could be our co-workers, our family members, our friends. And God wants us to be sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, beyond the walls of the church. Now as we get to know those individuals and we share the gospel, hopefully what we're saying is, we're inviting them into the church. Whether it's a worship service, vacation Bible school, an evangelistic get-together, a women's Christmas event, whatever it may be, see, God is wanting us to invite people into his church. And then the next thing he wants us to do is to share the gospel, show the love of Jesus Christ, open up his word, and he's using us in the process when his spirit enlivens that person and they trust Jesus Christ as savior, hopefully. And then God wants us to be part of the process because God is very intentional about disciple making. And God is also very intentional about saving the lost and bringing people to maturity in Jesus Christ. So as we look at that illustration, it's really important that we as a church are committed to making disciples of Jesus Christ. Now. When we think about bringing people to maturity, I want to help you to understand something now. And I'm going to steal an illustration from Jerry Bridges. Jerry Bridges used this in The, the Discipline of Grace, which is a wonderful book. I highly recommend it. And what, what he explained in that, he said, is that that disciple-making process, the process of sanctification, helping people grow in their, into maturity in Christ, it's like an airplane. And what he said was it takes two, pl- two wings of an airplane for that airplane to fly. The one wing represents dependence. Now that means dependence on the Spirit of God. The other wing represents disciplines with an S. And what do I mean by disciplines? Well, spiritual disciplines. It could be reading the Word of God, prayer, Christian fellowship. You see, if we want to grow in Christ, in maturity, it takes both. A dependence on the Spirit of God. And then what we bring, pardon the pun, to the table are the spiritual disciplines and it takes both and just like an airplane can't fly with just one wing, you see what would happen is if we come in and we start to do the spiritual disciplines and where we're teaching Sunday school we're reading the Word of God we're doing all of these things with no dependence upon the Spirit of God it's like we're trying to fly an airplane with one wing and we're going to crash and burn now here's where the illustration breaks down technically Jesus Christ does not need us for that plane to fly. He could fly it very well without us. But you see, it takes two two wings of that plane to fly. And just in the disciple-making process as well, when God wants to use us, he wants to use us, but he wants us to be completely dependent upon the Spirit of God. See, when we try to go about serving in the church, when we try to go about our own spiritual maturity apart from the, the Spirit of God, It boils down to legalism and moralism. And you see what happens when we try to do that apart from the Spirit of God. That's when we ourselves crash as well. So that's a great way to think about this process when we think about the table over here. And when we look at bringing it back to our church covenant, healthy disciples are ones that are healthy church members that contribute to the process of disciple making. Let's take a look at the Word of God, because I'm going to give you just um, two, two passages that will highlight this for today. One is in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6 through 9. Let me read that for us. I, this is the Apostle Paul writing this, I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. You see, when we look at this passage, this passage is a great biblical example of that airplane illustration that I just gave about the two wings of the plane. It says here that that Paul planted and Apollos watered, but who was it that did the growth? It was God that brought that growth in. See, it goes, Paul goes on here as saying, that it says here, so that neither the one pl- who plants, which was Paul, nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. So here we have the greatest evangelist of all time, the Apostle Paul. We have Apollos, a great communicator, great pe- preacher of the word of God, a gifted, gifted early church father. And we have these two men, and what does the Bible tell us about them? They were nothing. Reminds me of John chapter 15, where Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. You see, apart from God, we really are nothing. But what I also like, if you look at this passage, it just presents a wonderful picture of unity. Verse 8 says, Now he who plants and he who waters are one. Now, it just came in verse seven to say that Paul and Apollos are are nothing, he who plants and he who waters. But now in verse eight, it says he who plants and he who waters are one. You see what it's talking about here, it's unity within the body of Jesus Christ. It's just a great example to show that here we have Paul, the one who planted, Apollos, the one who watered, are using the gifts that God has given them. Two men who were gifted very differently had very different ministry roles within the body of Christ. And God was bringing these two men together and uniting them and using the gifts of each in a wonderful way to be a very fruitful ministry of disciple making. I think church family, we can learn a lot from this because we need one another. See, as I can't see you today, but if I were to look out into this room like we are normally filled with people here, I know that God has given incredible gifts to the people of Riverstone Church. Why? Because I know a lot of you. Some are gifted teachers. Some are gifted at giving care. Some are gifted in kids' ministries. Some have been given financial gifts where you're extremely good with with finances. People in this church have been gifted in so many different ways, in such a variety of ways, that what God wants from all of us is to bring the gifts that God has given us Again, if I go back to this table illustration, he wants us to use our gifts to bring people into this chair. He wants us to use our gifts and see the ministry is taking place between the chairs as we're pouring ourselves into the people that come into this church, into one another, and helping people to progress into, from this chair of non-belief to becoming a new believer as God works in their heart and draws them to himself. And then he wants us to open the word of God and he wants us to help them all the way into maturity. You see, that's how God wants us to use the gifts that he has given us. Now, we might want to ask ourselves, well, what exactly is it that God is growing? Well, he's growing disciples. Let me read verse nine again. It says here, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. You see, all of us, our workers together, just like Paul and just like Apollos. But what is it that we're doing? We're pouring in, as we're making disciples, it says that you are God's field, God's building. You see, we're bringing people to maturity in Jesus Christ. That's what he's talking about here. Now, I've been talking about different gifts and different ministry roles. I'd like to look at one other passage today in the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 16. And this passage gives us a wonderful insight into this disciple-making process. It says, And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together, by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. What a great summary of the disciple-making process. And what we see here throughout this is a real focus on unity. Now, Paul wrote the, the book of Ephesians, and he wrote this as a whole letter, and what we have to do is we want to think as we read through books of the Bible is to remember that each chapter, the chapters weren't there when it was written, but from the beginning to the end it builds upon itself. And if we go back to chapter two in the book of Ephesians, I'm not going to read it, but what Paul talks about is how Jesus Christ broke down the barrier walls that existed between Jews and Gentiles. Now that might not mean a whole lot to us today in 21st century America, but if you look back at the first century, the hatred, the disunity, the division that existed between Jew and Gentile was significant. It would be like maybe an analogy today of saying that we're going to go over into Palestine and we're going to break down the barrier walls that exist between at Jews and Muslims in Palestine. You see, there was centuries and centuries of hatred and division that grew up. And what happens? Here comes Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ breaks down the barrier walls. Not only does it break it down, but in Ephesians chapter 2, it says, and the two become one. What a beautiful picture of unity. Now, do you think we could draw out any correlations today of what is going on in the race relationships in in the United States of America? You see, when we see the divisions that are existing between whites and blacks in our country, we could put any race in there. And we can say that the blood of Jesus Christ was shed for us so that the divisions and the walls, the barrier walls that exist, truly can only be broken down by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's what Jesus did. He gave his life, not only for the salvation of all of us, not only for the establishment of his church and the furthering of his kingdom, but he gave his life as well so there could be unity within the body of Christ. What a great picture, I think, that we need to hold on to for us as well. See, unity is extremely important to God, and it should be important to us as well. Let's go back just a few verses prior to what I read. I want to read verses 2 and 3. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Wow, it says, we are to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Folks, our country and our community are so divided right now over race, over the wearing of masks, over opening and reopening of churches and different places around, as well as political affiliations. We are so divided. There's so much anger. There's so much disunity. And what, <clears throat> what we see from the word of God is that God values unity. And there's no place for disunity within the body of Jesus Christ. I think as a church, we need to really remember this, because sadly, what we're seeing is that disunity and that anger creeping into the church. And my hope is that I'll just give you one example out of all of this, and we could use race, we could use politics, we could use whatever. But my hope is when I look out at Riverstone Church, I see a church family that is filled with Republicans and Democrats and independents sitting together, intermingling, worshiping God together. Because, folks, we better get used to it now because we're going to experience that in heaven. And praise God, Jesus came to break down the barrier walls that exist between any of these divisions. Well, as we're moving towards the end, I'd like us to turn back and read verse 13. And what is the purpose of all this disciple-making? Well, it says here that until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Jesus Christ. What a goal. It says here our goal for ourselves and for others, moving from chair to chair, is that we achieve unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, and maturity. You see, our standard is the fullness of Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I have a long way to go. And one of the things I can tell you for sure, folks, I don't know all of you, but after 12 years of ministry here, I know most of you. And one of the things I can look forward to is job security. Because if the standard is the fullness of Jesus Christ, we all have a long way to go together. And you see, folks, that's what we're talking about when we think about disciple-making, is bringing people from outside of the church all the way in to the fullness of the maturity of Jesus Christ. And each each one of us have been given gifts that we can contribute to this process. The last verse I'm going to read is verse 12. Why did God so richly provide these gifts? It says in verse 12, For the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. See, that's what God has called us to do, to use our gifts gifts for the equipping of the saints towards one another, for the works of service, remember I said, between these chairs, the ministry that's taking place, to move people from one to the next, as well as, it says here, that we are to use these to bring people to the knowledge of the Son of God. See, that's why we've been given these gifts, And this describes wonderfully the table illustration that I just gave you. And thankfully, folks, we're not in it alone. God has given us a church full of friends who possess different gifts than we do, who are joining us in this process. So I want to end with a very important question. What are you contributing to the process of disciple-making at Riverstone Church? You see, your gifts were given to you for works of service. There is no room within the body of Jesus Christ for consumers. God has called us to be servers for works of service. See, this church or any church within the body of Christ, see, we're not Macy's, we're not Target where we can go in and we can shop around for what we desire and move on out. We are not a restaurant where we go in and order things the way we want them, have somebody else serve us and we walk out satisfied. We are not Broadway where we have a group of people up here putting on a production and everybody else is sitting out there watching and when the show is over, they go home. You see, we are called to acts of service and we've got to drop that consumer mentality out of the church because God wants to use each and every one of you to make disciples for Jesus Christ. So as I end, if you haven't read the church covenant, please do so. I think you're going to gain a lot from it and you'll be prepared for each and every week coming in here for the messages coming up in the next two months. And commit yourself to being a healthy church member so that collectively, when we gather together, we have a healthy church at Riverstone Church that is very intentional and being used by God and his spirit working within us to make disciples at Riverstone Church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for using us, Lord. Despite our sins, despite our lack of worthiness, God, you chose to use us. And we thank you for the power of your spirit that can work within each and every one of us, Lord. When we come to faith in Christ, we don't have to do this alone. And Father, I thank you for giving us one another that we can have others who will build into us to grow us into maturity, Father, forgive us for the lack of intentionality that we have had in making disciples. Forgive us for our hearts of consumerism. And Lord, help us to be your faithful workers, growing in love for you. Amen.